G'day, and welcome to the Sea Creatures Podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode, we chat about a specific sea creature with a guest who has spent time and interacted with this ocean animal. Our guests range from marine biologists, underwater photographers, scuba divers, citizen scientists, and anyone with an intense passion for the ocean. My name is Matt Testoni, and I'm all of the above. And joining me on this episode of the Sea Creatures Podcast is Warren Carlisle, and he is the founder of Octonation, which is the, pretty much the world's biggest octopus fan club and nonprofit. So welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Ah, so we're going to be talking all about octopus today, obviously, given you're the, you are the Octo Man. But start us off with telling us how you became octo-obsessed, as I call it. Yes. Uh, when I was seven, I remember going to a class field trip. We went to an aquarium and we were all walking single file line where we were supposed to. And I was always kind of like a mischievous kid. And so I thought, if I go to the back of the line, then I could probably dip off and go take my own tour. And, and so that's what I did. And I found myself in front of the octopus exhibit. Um, and I remember looking up at the octopus's eyes and I felt as if the octopus was looking back at me. You know, when you look at a lot of different types of animals, you're like, oh, you know, that, that, that looks cool. But there's something different with the octopus. I just really felt like it was looking back. And I became super obsessed from that moment on. And I remember trying to find books and resources at the library and I couldn't really find any. And so, yeah. And so that's kind of where it started. So I remember telling my friends when they would ask me, you know, what, what's your favorite animal? I always say the octopus, but I didn't really know what to do with that love and obsession until later on in my life. When I read the book, The Soul of an Octopus, many of your listeners have most likely read that book. And it kind of detailed why there probably weren't that many resources on the octopus. You know, they are constantly mis mischaracterized, made to seem in a lot of movies as malicious creatures, attacking ships. And so for whatever reason, they got a bad PR for the past century. And so I wanted to change that. So I created Octonation. Yeah. It's just so weird that they do have such a bad, like, you know, PR problem. Because when I've, whenever I've seen them, they're, they're so curious and they're friendly and they're one of the sea creatures I'm least worried about, except for the venomous species, which, you know, that's always a little bit worrying. Yeah, media has a lot of, I think, pull in the way that people feel about things. As you could tell from like the movie Jaws, we're still, you know, people still think sharks, all sharks are like the most vicious creatures on the planet. So media has a huge way of, of how we interpret things and understand things. And I, so I think for the longest time, people saw the octopus and just thought, wow, it's squishy, it's weird, it's, you know, it's going to attack me, it's trying to get me. These are all things that I've heard with the octopus, and it couldn't be further from the truth. They want literally nothing to do with us. So once you start getting into it and realize that the octopus is super smart, super efficient, and that they have a donut-shaped brain that wraps around their esophagus that would keep it from even wanting to eat you, then you start understanding, you're like, oh, wait a minute, let, let, let me look more into this creature. <laughs> Because they're just such smart creatures. And some of the stories you hear about, you know, they're able to find food out of complex kind of games and unscrewed jar lids. And yeah, it's pretty amazing. And I'm sure everyone's seen My Octopus Teacher, which is where like they've used all the kind of shells to cover themselves up. But most people, I would say, know what an octopus looks like. But tell us a little bit about what an octopus actually is, some cool details and how they live. 
Yeah, so an octopus is super cool. They have eight arms, depending on the species. Another cool thing about the octopus is that they live in every single ocean. They're along every coastline in the world. And depending on where they live in the ocean, they have a unique adaptive superpower that allows them to thrive, like in any given environment. So, you know, if there's a, a sandy area and there isn't re really anywhere to hide, there is something called the sand octopus that can't change colors. But it's evolved to, you know, to blow itself a foot underground, um, secrete a mucus to reinforce the walls around it, create a ventilation shaft with its arm and just burrow underground. And there's all these different types of stories. But I would say that most octopuses have eight arms and that they, they have suckers on their arms. A lot of times people think octopuses, they, they call their arms tentacles, <laughs> but octopuses, they don't have any tentacles. They also don't have legs. That's another thing that people think. I can understand people thinking the legs thing because yeah. I've seen an octopus because they don't float. Yeah. If they want to move without expending energy, they walk. And I've seen an octopus walk on its two arms. So I, I totally get that, but sorry, <laughs> go on. Yeah, and, and there it, it's no it's so interesting because there's so many different species. And when you say when you say that they don't float, there's actually the blanket octopus, because she lives her whole entire life in the open ocean. She has a swim bladder, very similar to the fish that kind of keep cool. them buoyant. And so she, you know, so she doesn't have to expend a lot of energy, you know, sinking constantly. She's always floating. And so there's just so many different stories. I think as you look into all the different types of species, you just become endlessly fascinated. I've been fascinated my whole entire life and every single day that I either write a new post or, or more research comes out, like the research around octopuses having two sleep cycles and dreaming. You know, these are things that like, you know, when you see a dog kick and they're dreaming and like they're kind of running after something, well, an octopus, they're chromatophores, which are like color changing cells, they kind of go off. So they kind of mimic maybe if an octopus is like going after a crab, its body will start changing colors as if it's going after a crab, but it's Whoa. sleeping. So it's just all these, you know, really cool things that we're discovering that kind of connect us even, even more with the octopus, uh, as far as from like a relatability, you know, standpoint. Yeah. And I think one thing that I kind of was a little bit shocked about is that, you know, you see them crawling around, but you never see their mouth. And then I know a few <laughs> years ago, and it seems silly, but I kind of was like, what, how, how do they, they have a beak? They have a beak just like a bird, which, which I find insane. Yeah, they have a beak just like a bird and uh, they actually have an, I think it's an overbite. And what's really interesting is behind their beak, they have a tongue like a cat. So they have this like ribbon like tongue that brings food down into their esophagus, but it's rough. Like, I don't know if you've ever like felt a cat tongue or seen it, how they kind of have those things. Well, um, an octopus is very similar to that in the sense where they have like this ribbon like tongue that has fine rows of teeth on them and very similar to like shark teeth. They fall off and they, they grow back. But that's like most people don't know that, too, when they think about just the beak, like what goes into actually eating something. And they can't eat big objects, too, because like I mentioned before, they have this donut shaped brain that wraps around their esophagus that uh, limits the size of food that they could potentially eat. And so a lot of times when people are like, oh, is that octopus going to come get me? I'm just like, no, <laughs> like it can't <laughs> from like, and it won't, like I said, they're really smart creatures too. So if they're out in the water, you know, they're typically not like majestically walking around. They're typically only out to go hunt something and then go back to a den. And so they're very efficient. So they'll go and they'll hunt and then they'll go back in den. The giant Pacific octopus actually spends close to, I think the, the stat is like 85 to 90% of its life in a den. Uh, and the rest is, is out hunting. 
So they're not like just, you know, out gallivanting, walking majestically, like sometimes we see them. They're pretty much in the den, (laughs) protecting their squishy, vulnerable bodies. (laughs) Speaking of like what octopus do, I have a really weird story for you. Perhaps you know a bit about it. I was watching an octopus a couple of months ago. He he was right near his den, I could tell, or she was. And um, she was hanging outside the den, but started off like, you know, a tentacle or an arm, sorry, reached out and tried to grab my camera and gave Mm -hmm. my camera kind of a good inspection. And then three or four of the arms started wrapping them around its head and its eye, just like it was in some kind of fashion shampoo ad where the model's like massaging its head. And I was like, what is going on? And wow. And I I watched it for about 10 minutes, but have you ever heard of that or seen that? Yeah. So octopuses, they'll groom themselves. So, you know, very much like we have nails on our fingers, octopuses uh, on their suckers, they have this sucker lining that's very similar to our nails in the sense that it protects their suckers, right? When they need to shed or when that layer is ready for it to come off, sometimes they'll bring their arms back and they'll start curling them and they'll just kind of, it's like, it's kind of its way of grooming. So if you've ever seen like a, you know, a monkey or something like that constantly pick, you know, at itself and just kind of like groom itself. An octopus, you know, in its free time will groom because if it can uh, shed off that sucker lining, then it improves its grip on prey items or on maybe your camera. Maybe it was like, let me get a better grip of this camera. <laughs> or they also, because they have olfactory organs they in their, their suckers, they can actually taste and smell with their suckers. And so maybe it's just like, you know, it kind of brought its arms back and was like, wait a minute, I'm not tasting this or feeling this in the best way that I could. Let me uh, shed these, these sucker linings off so I can get a better grip. So not to say that that's what it was doing, but we know that octopuses groom themselves and it kind of looks like they're like a self-cleaning car wash or something like that. They just go and they'll start, you know, rubbing, rubbing their suckers against their body. <laughs> yeah, I reckon that was definitely it. And I mean, it's such an interesting thing. It'd be like if, you know, you had tongues on your hands, mm-hmm. of course they would get dirty and you'd be like, oh, this doesn't taste, you know, this doesn't taste like chicken anymore. Like, you know, this tastes <laughs> funky. So I guess like... Yeah, that's so tell us a little bit more about their brain as well. And because I know that relates to their suckers in their arms. Yeah, so they have a central brain. Uh, octopuses are really interesting. The fact that they have this, it's called a decentralized nervous system, which means that their arms can actually act independently from their, their brain. So it, I always tell people, you know, imagine you're sitting on a couch and you're watching, you know, the TV or something like that, and you can't find the remote. And so you tell your arm, you're, you're like, you know what? I, I'm trying to watch the TV. So if you could just go find the remote for me so I can, you know, keep my eye on the TV, that would be great. An octopus, you know, can give instructions to its arms and then like continue to like look for predators or to, to risk being preyed upon. They can keep track of what they're doing. And so an octopus, they have satellite brains in each one of their arms. Um, and so it's called, the satellite brains are called ganglia, if you want to get geeky about it. They can actually perform tasks without the use of the central brain. They can perform fine tasks. And I think it's really because an octopus really needs to watch out for everything around it. They have 360 degrees of predators all around them. They even evolved to have, uh, you've probably seen their horizontal like pupils, Um, They have these like bar shaped pupils that can literally see forwards, backwards around their whole entire bodies because they have squishy, vulnerable bodies that are picked on by fish. And so they evolved to just to be on the lookout. 
And so that decentralized nervous system comes in handy because their arms can go and they can look for food. They can look for, you know, whatever they need to look for, but their eyes and their central brain can be focused on things that they're looking at. So they're really, really smart. They also have long-term and short-term memory. So most species can learn through observation and can actually recognize individual human faces. They did this study at the Seattle aquarium where there was an aquarist who would poke at an octopus with kind of like a, a bristly stick. And then their other aquarists would give them treats and just pet the octopus and be really nice towards it. And the octopus knew who the person was. Like if the, the person came with a it just changed colors. It's breathing patterns changed. There was obviously a lot more science that went into that. But long story short, even if you, they were wearing the same uniform, they can see human faces and they can identify. And so it's just fascinating that they only live such a short amount of time, but the processing power of their brain and just how quickly they learn through observation is like at, at warp speed. <laughs> Yeah. And it, I mean, because it's only really one kind of octopus season they live through, isn't it? They have their eggs and then they kind of look after their eggs and that's that's it. Yeah. Warm water species, typically only like 12 to 18 months you're looking at. It's, it's typically decided that the colder the water is, the deeper, you know, the longer their life might be. And so like you have some species of octopus called like the muso octopus, also called the warty octopus, which they discovered sits on her eggs for like close to four years. And so who knows how long her, her lifespan actually is, but the development of the eggs, I guess, because it's so cold and life just slows down down there four years, you know, is, is how long that they, they kept going back and forth and seeing that octopus still on the eggs, even that long. So they've decided, you know, giant Pacific octopuses, you know, you're looking at three to five years, but the species where, where you're, where you live in the warmer climates, you know, you got 12 to 18 months, typically tops. Yeah, it's, it's really is nothing. And I, I think about like, I've, I'm, you know, you were saying you can't see many books earlier and I've just read, mm -hmm. I've, you know, got an octopus field guide and every second octopus is like, we don't know anything about them. We don't know how long they live, how they mate, you know, what their kind of systems are. So yeah, it's such a knowledge gap. I want to keep talking about a little bit of biology though. So like they don't, I mean, this is kind of obvious to a lot of people, but they don't have bones, do they? No, they have. And that's how they can fit through tight spaces. Yeah, they, they actually have muscular hydrostats. That's what they're called. I call it like a water skeleton. You know, Chelsea, my lead scientist, she's like, eh, it's not quite a skeleton, but that's kind of how I think of it in the sense where if you think of your tongue or if you think of like an elephant trunk, there's no bones in any of those things, but they move through pressurized fluids. Well, an octopus, they can create, you know, in their arms, imagine being able to create an elbow at any part of your arm, right? Through using, you know, the pressurized fluids. It's insane how just, and Chelsea has said this to our lead scientists, they can move in an infinite amount of ways. And it's just incredible to watch them squeeze through tight areas. Like I think, you know, you were mentioning it, but like they can't really get through places that are smaller than their beak. But other than that, they can squeeze through like really, really tiny holes. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember seeing one inside a glass bottle. Mm -hmm. I could have sworn its eye was the size of the hole of the bottle. Mm -hmm. I was like, how, how did you get in there? And that is the safest place in the ocean I've ever seen. Yeah, it's, it's pretty insane. Uh, so we know they're pretty crazy animals, but I know they get even more crazy. So tell us about like your favorite octopus and some of the weirdest and wackiest octopus you know of. So I, my favorite always changes, you know, I would say that my favorite 
in relation to the ones that I've interacted with the most, I've met a lot of giant Pacific octopuses because I do this series called Interview with an Octopus, where I go to various aquariums all over the world. And I interviewed like the cephalopod keeper or the aquarist, whoever's there. And we have a conversation about the octopus. And it's just been so fascinating to me how giant Pacific octopuses have various personalities. Depending on their life experiences, they have, they're either shy, they're, you know, maybe they're friendly, depending on what, when they came in and what their life was like. I equate it sometimes to like a shelter dog. Like if you've ever been to a shelter and you go and there's a dog that just for whatever reason is very hesitant to come up to you, that dog probably had a rough life or maybe it's just needs to orient itself in a new environment. The octopus is very much the same way. And the fact that because they have short-term and long-term memory, those experiences kind of come with them. And so there, some of them are really charismatic. Some of them want absolutely nothing to do with you. So you never really know. From that standpoint, the giant Pacific octopus is, is my favorite. But when you're looking at the whole entire world, there's just so many species that I have come to love like the hairy octopus. And this is one that I had to, the only information we really have on it is through underwater photographers and scuba divers and them witnessing it because it's almost like the size of your fingernail. It has like these skin-like protrusions that make it look like a hair model. They just flex these, their skin. And it just like, it looks like they have hair blowing in the wind. I interviewed a couple underwater photographers and asked them because I would look and there was no science on these animals. They don't know what it eats. They don't know how it lays eggs or anything like that. I just said, you know, describe what it was doing or what it looked like. And so you can see that species profile on our website on Octopedia, but that's a really cool species. There is the sand octopus, which I, which I mentioned before, which can't change colors, but it can essentially create quicksand and, and escape very quickly. Uh, one of the coolest ones called the paper Nautilus. She actually secretes a mineral calcite from her arms and she creates her own egg casing. I don't want to call it a shell because it's paper thin and she really uses it only to, she, she does protect herself with it, but it, it's really to keep her eggs with her. So they call it like a brood shell or like a brood casing. That's a really cool one. Man, there's just so many. <laughs> like... I think it's just cool, like depending on where they live, they have like this unique superpower that allows them to just be masters of that environment. And so like the blanket octopus, she has this almost like the six foot long iridescent cape. She kind of looks like a floating rainbow through the open ocean. And like I was mentioning before, she also when like she has these uh, egg stalks, it's like this biological structure that she attaches her eggs to and she swims with them through the open ocean. And she actually can remove the stinging uh, tentacles from the man of war and ward off predators. So they've been shown to use tools to ward off predators. So I just think the idea that there's some brilliant, gorgeous looking octopus out there using man of war tentacles as nunchucks to like ward off predators that exist on our planet. And I think more people need to know about it and kind of see it. <laughs> Yeah, I just love the image of an octopus with kind of a cape that's iridescent and a sword made of jellyfish stingers fighting its way through the ocean. It, it's like something out of a movie. Yeah, it's it's really insane. And the more, like I said, the more you look into it, the more kind of like you uncover, the more you're just like, wow, there's so much that we don't know. And I'm really interested in all the species that we we haven't discovered yet. You know, you see all these underwater submersibles go out and they see all these uh, deep sea species that they've never seen before. 
uh, and they don't stay too long. And I just imagine like, what if we observe them for longer, you know, to see kind of like what they do or, you know, what's going on. And so I'm really excited for, you know, what's next as it relates to exploration, because I really do think there are some species that live very long lives that we're just unaware about. Because uh, there has to be. I just feel like, you know, the ocean is so big. And while we've charted a lot of it, there's still that that statistic where we still haven't explored a majority of it is still holds true. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, I know I've come across a few species that are just super rare and you go, this is in the shallows. This is in two meters off the beach of a major city. What, what lies in the yeah. depths? <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and there are some species, like I forgot to mention this one, uh, the, it's a coastal species, like the algae octopus, they hunt between tide pools, and they actually can breathe through their skin, a limited amount of oxygen can be uh, transferred through their skin, it's like, called passive diffusion, and, and you can get really geeky about it. But they can last longer on land and hunt between tide pools, because they can actually breathe a limited amount of oxygen through their skin. And so um, sometimes people see octopuses on land and they want to rush and grab them and throw them back in the ocean. And, you know, it could be one of two things. One, they could just be, did somebody see me? I'm going to stay right here until they move so I can go. And then another thing, you know, might be, they might be senescent. So that, you know, they might be at the end of their life. And um, when an octopus is at the end of their life, they start doing really wacky things. Like they stop changing colors. It'd be almost like having dementia or Parkinson's disease. They start just doing things that they, they're not supposed to do. And walking on land is, is, a, is another thing that they've been known to do when they're senescent. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've tried to rescue an octopus once. There's a little beach near where I live where occasionally they wash up or they get stuck as the tide because it's so shallow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've, I've picked one up to put it back in the water. Because a few of them I've, my friends have put back and they've, they've gone off and they've been fine. Sure. This one I don't think so. But what got me was when I picked it up, it felt so squishy and so slimy. <laughs> and then as soon as I put it down, my hands were dry. They were bone dry. And I was like, I've never touched any. I don't recommend anyone touches an octopus, but <laughs> I've never touched anything like it. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. And most people think too, like the, uh, with octopuses and, uh, they're like, will it bite or, you know, do they bite and things like that? And I, I can tell you that I've been to tons and tons of, of aquariums all over the world and talked to people that have interacted with the octopus. It's almost like a badge of honor, you know, at this point, like if an octopus does choose to bite you because it's just so rare, like it, it doesn't really happen because again, they, they typically when they, because they can taste with their suckers, if they already kind of size you up and they're just like, this doesn't really make sense for me to bite into, they're not going to waste the energy that it takes to do that because it's just not an efficient use of their time. They don't really bite to protect themselves. It's not like a thing that they do, you know? And so it's just like, a, a, again, another, another common misconception I hear all the time is like, are they out biting things? It's like, nope, <laughs> they're really not. <laughs> Oh, and so just before we kind of wrap up, have you got any specifically cool facts about octopus? I have one, which is that their blood is blue and that's because they don't use hemoglobin like we do in our blood, but they use hemocyanin, which works really well in cold water. So yeah, blue blood, that's pretty cool. But have you got any, any other facts? And the blue blood's really cool too, because it allows them to live at deep and colder temperatures of water. Like, you know, whereas we would get hypothermia, you know, if, if the water was, you know, freezing and octopus is like, no, I'm good. You know, I have a copper based blood, not iron. So I'm, I'm legit. So, you know, what I, I have, like, I have two facts that I, I really think are cool. One of them was, I already mentioned the octopuses, their eyes. I've always been drawn to their eyes. Like I said, it was my first love when I was seven, just the idea of them looking at you and looking back. 
but I mentioned that they don't have a blind spot. So if you can imagine like two panoramic cameras on the sides of your head and you can see their pupil, it's like a bar shaped. So it's like a line. And what's really interesting too, is they have these statusists that keep their eyes horizontal, no matter what position their body is in. And so their eyes are just constantly to the horizon. They don't really deviate. They don't, they'll never look like cat eyes. And so what's really cool is that they, they don't have a blind spot. Like I said, they can see 360, close to 360 degrees around themselves. So you can't really sneak up on an octopus. I would say another cool thing is, is a lot of species, they can change colors. I think the day octopus is one of the, the coolest species because they can change their color in one fifth of a second. So that's faster than we can blink. And they can actually change the texture of their skin too. They have something called papilla. It's like these, um, 3D uh, structures in their skin that they can actually raise their skin up and they can project not the same image of what they're on on their skin, but very similar to where it breaks up the pattern enough to where you think, wow, like I can't see that. But like there's some videos that you really cannot see these day octopuses. They look just like a rock, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so um, it's just really interesting. But I mean, I mean, there's so many different cool facts about the octopus. Most, most people think an octopus, octopuses are all venomous. So they all, you know, they all have to bite down into something so that they can release their venom. Typically what that venom does, it's a, a neurotoxin. So it completely paralyzes whatever it bites into. But there's only one, or I, I should say two species of octopus that actually have a venom that is lethal to humans. Uh, and so that the blue ringed octopus and then the, the moi toy octopus or motoidy or like there's a couple of different ways that people say it, but they produce in their venom something called a tetrodotoxin. And it's close to a thousand times more deadly than cyanide. So if a blue ring uh, were to bite you for whatever reason, it, and I think only three people have, have died in the past hundred years. So it's not like a common thing, but if a blue ring were to bite you, it's very potential that you would, that you wouldn't make it. <laughs> There are some videos though. I don't know if you've seen some videos too, where, you know, people unknowingly are kind of like messing with them and everybody that does know, if you see those blue rings, you do not want to come close to that one. <laughs> yeah. I've had a few, uh, I've seen a few, quite a few blue rings underwater and especially at nighttime, you'll be swimming along and they love to hunt with your torch. Mm -hmm. And so they'll kind of be looking around and then something will happen and you'll move your torch away and you move your torch back and the octopus is gone and you're like, uh Oh, where is it gone? one of the most Where venomous creatures in the world where is it yeah but but they yeah as you said they really would not want to bite you it'd be a last resort thing yeah like i said octopuses especially blue rings again really efficient hunters they're not thinking oh i'm gonna go bite this person because i'm aware that i have this venom that could kill take them down they're thinking i want to protect my life at all costs I don't know what that thing is, but I don't want anything to do with it. So that's mm. kind of their mindset. You take anything away, take away the fact that there are these creatures that want anything to do with us because th their biggest thing is that they just want to survive. So yeah. you know, that's the thing. And if you see anybody with an octopus, that's because I see it often in places like Hawaii where photographers will like pull the octopus out of their den to take photos of it. It's another thing that you totally shouldn't do just out of one respect two ethics, three, you're making the octopus potentially disoriented and a prey item to, you know, things that are swimming around it. So 
Definitely don't share those videos because the more attention we give those videos, the, the more content we, we typically see uh, people uploading those, those types of videos. So I don't think it's worth it to mess with animals for social media clout. It's just a personal <laughs> stance on that. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, because the octopus lay their eggs in dens and they yeah. need to be there to look after their eggs. And if you pull one out and it gets so scared that it leaves, then you've just wiped out the next generation. So it's not worth it in any way. For sure. Just before we finish, to finish on a high note, you were just talking about the day octopus. And it just reminds me of when I, I got to see one on the Barrier Reef a while ago. And it was the most characterful octopus I've ever seen because it was hiding on the coral and... I kind of swam past it and then I looked back and I like saw it and it kind of, you know, you could see it was like, oh, has he seen me? Has he seen me? And then as soon as like I got a bit closer, it kind of jumped off and then just kind of followed me around, pulsating its different colors and like showing off its size and for about 20 <laughs> minutes. And I was like, what are you doing? You could just escape. It was the most amazing like experience. It was just wanting to show off in a weird way. But yeah. And they've done a lot of studies recently. You can see it like on our, one of our blogs, the day octopus is the species that does hunting in groups of like different types of fish as well. And so they've been known to whack at fishes because there's some fish that are a little bit more aggressive and try to steal the octopus's food because it, it takes a while for an octopus. Once they have the food, it takes them a while for them to like get to where they need to go to eat it. So sometimes when they're hunting, they're foraging, they'll go and they'll grab uh, food items and they'll kind of put it underneath their arm crown and they'll start collecting stuff and then go off to the den to eat it. Well, the fish will kind of go up underneath their crown and grab at the food. So the day octopus will punch at the fish to kind of like say, hey, get out of there, like get out of my way. Like I'm, this is mine. I just think, you know, we could discover so many more cool things just, just hanging around them. But another thing about the day octopus is I think they've evolved to, to be one of the most charismatic being visible during the day means that they needed to evolve to have a way more dynamic color changing abilities so that you know the the animals can't couldn't potentially see them so i think it's always really interesting and i'm always really curious roger hanlon is doing some research on this right now but just how other animals see the octopus because we know how we see them do, do octopus, are they really invisible to other creatures in the ocean? And he's doing a lot of studies on what, what might other animals see when they see an octopus. And so I'm really interested to see that research as it comes out. Yeah, definitely. Because I know there are different stories of like different fish, as you said, like hanging around octopus. And there was one recently <laughs> discovered by a 10-year-old. Um, <laughs> yeah, and his dad were out snorkeling and the 10-year-old was like, dad, there's a fish with this octopus every single time. And the dad was like, no, there's not. And they started recording it. And yeah, they've just released their first scientific paper. I think he's one of the youngest uh -huh. Australians to have a science paper. And yeah, it's all about like how this fish and octopus work together. Mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I could see where, you know, you'd want to work a really cool thing about the day octopus uh, and the Caribbean reef octopus, which is another cool species that does this is they do kind of like this parachute attack where they'll completely canvas a piece of coral with their arms uh, and their, their webbing. It's called like an interbrachial webbing if you wanted to get geeky. They completely canvas a coral. And what they'll do is they'll shoot jets of water to kind of spook out prey items. So I'm, I'm sure the fish is just like, hey, I can't do that. So, you know, why don't I just stick around you? Because you're scaring these, these things out of these 
places and I'll, I'll get a treat. I'm sure over time, the octopus is kind of teaching the, almost like a dog, maybe like octopuses having dogs or something. You know what I mean, it's like <laughs> their own little pet that's, you know, they're feeding and I'm not too sure how, how they like it. I think there's so much more that we yet to d- discover and uncover. And I'm really looking forward to, to learning more with everybody on Octonation. Yeah. And, and so to wrap up the show, just tell us people want to learn more about Octopus and more about your nonprofit Octonation. What should they do and where should they go? Yeah. If you just go to Octonation.com, that's O-C-T-O-N-A-T-I-O-N.com. We have a activity book for kids. If you go to Octonation.com and click on the uh, kids tab, there's this activity book. We're launching more curriculum uh, later this year. And then also we have Octopedia, which is a, it's a growing octopus, like encyclopedia where people can go and they can learn about the octopus in a really fun and informative way. That's not really overly sciencey. We're going to start including a lot of underwater photographers accounts. So not just the science, but there's a lot of information from underwater photographers, their firsthand experience. And I think it's cooler for people to learn and hear what they think and like how they were feeling because oftentimes science takes out all the emotion and it's just here are the facts and i think people especially you know octopus fans we're all about like how does this octopus make us feel so i think you know doing firsthand accounts of underwater photographers and scuba divers is going to be a really cool section that we're adding everything on octonation we have a blog we're adding more writers. Uh, We do artist spotlights. We have a a pretty popular Instagram account too. And so I'm really excited about that growing as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. I had a blast. Sea Creatures Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by myself, Matt Testoni. You can see my photography on Instagram at Matt underscore Testoni underscore photography or on my website, www.mtunderwatermedia.com. Production assistance by George McGrath and music by the talented and awesome Dan Musel. If you'd like to show, jump onto our Patreon account, which is patreon.com slash podcast, and that's where you can help the show out so we can continue to make more cool episodes all about different sea creatures. Coming up next time on the Sea Creatures Podcast, we're going to be talking to Natalia, who is a penguin guide from down in Tasmania, and she's going to be telling us all about the little penguin, which is super exciting. This is the Sea Creatures Podcast. Over and out.